0: So we've done a lot of the mainstream stuff, and and really this story is kind of cool because it it pivots a little bit uh, outside of just orthopedic surgeons and technique. It's a fascinating story about Michelle Ruiz, who's an orthopedic surgeon from Mexico City. Uh, He's an incredibly established orthopedic surgeon, world-renowned, has done all the right things in his career moves. And then in 2009, his son Santiago is born, and his wife, who's also a pediatric oncologist, recognized that his development's off and... He's diagnosed with autism, and it's a really remarkable story about how how Michelle and his wife really looked for a solution for really a unique problem, and it really changed his entire philosophy in life about how he practices medicine and how he relates with other people. It's a fascinating story. It's not our usual one. Uh, It's incredibly compelling. I know you're going to like it. Enjoy. We continue to thank our sponsor, OrthoLaser Orthopedic Laser Centers. They continue to offer MLSMA technology for chronic and acute orthopedic pain as an alternative source to opioids and possibly even avoiding surgery. The franchise continue to spread across the country. It's an amazing opportunity for orthopedic surgeons and doctors and even medical device reps to become part of the growing technology. OrthoLaser Milwaukee and OrthoLaser Rochester just opened. We have another five in the queue. Come and join the OrthoLaser franchise family. Hashtag follow the fro.
1: From medical media, this is The Ortho Show.
0: Hello, world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon, here for another great episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best. And today we're bringing you the best of the best in the world. I'm taking out my passport and we're going to Mexico City and we're going to meet with Dr. Michelle Ruiz. He's an orthopedic surgeon that's a sports medicine specialist in Mexico City. He's the associate professor at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. Uh, he's the director, upcoming director of the Shoulder and Elbow Fellowship, as well as takes part in the Sports Medicine Fellowship. He's the current president of the Mexico Shoulder and Elbow Society. Michelle, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you,
0: Scott. Thank you. This is a really honor. Well, we're going worldwide here. You know, we always talk about the best of the best. And so we decided that we uh, it was time to leave the country and head down to Mexico City, which is one of my... Favorite cities. I've had a couple opportunities to go down, and uh, I want to ask you: Do you do you know? Do you remember the name Hema Panetta at all from my Tech? Yes, of course. Okay, so Hema is sort of the godmother of you know medical device reps in all of Latin America. That's right. Yes, and uh, she had the Latin American forum down there. I think it was in 2011 or 2012, and I came down and and lectured and really had an amazing time. and was so impressed with Mexico City. It's such a European feel, amazing walking, amazing food, culture, architecture. It's really a cool place. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of things going
1: on here. Um, unfortunately, about the pandemic, everything like sort of stopped. And I mean, we're not the only place that happened in, in the world, but we're, we're known because we're probably the, the, the city in the world with the most uh, not, uh, museums in the whole world. Um, We are one of the most populated cities in the world. But thankfully, and I don't know why, because Mexicans are uh, very well known for not being very well organized. We are not one of the top 10 cities with the most traffic in the world. So (laughs) you can still drive. You can still use your car uh, or you can use any any public service and and, and you can go around the city quite
0: well. That's fantastic. I remember... The flight in was crazy because remember, Mexico City is a high elevation. I'm not sure the elevation, but it's, yes, up- it's
1: about 7,000 feet. About yeah, that, 7, that's about up there
0: pretty good. And if I remember, the plane would sort of have to go left and then right. You had to sort of go through the mountains to be able to get in. I thought yeah. that was a pretty fascinating landing as I was. Uh, I guess I, I, I had a martini. I wasn't sure if it was really the plane that was doing it. Was doing. <laughs> no, it, it,
1: for sure it was a plane because especially if you came, if you come here like by the end of the spring and summer, uh, the summer here in Mexico City is not that warm because it's the rain season for Mexico City. So a lot of clouds and having a lot of clouds at 7,000 feet, it, it, it gets sometimes
0: a really t- real tough. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Good. I'm glad to know that uh, that was reality. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, it's interesting in, in in Latin America and South America, the education process for doctors is very different than what it is up here in the States. We just had Jorge Chala on from Argentina, and it seems like in Mexico, it's a similar similar track. And so I'd like to just sort of talk a little bit about that. That's where you got started and we'll work work through the the timeline of your very fascinating life. Um, but again, in Mexico, there is no college, if I'm not mistaken. You go from high school directly to medical school. That's right. Uh,
1: you get out of college, and it depends what school you went in. Uh, you get out, out of high school at 18, 19, and then you go directly to university. So in our case here in Mexico, it depends a little bit on the university, but the the medicine program will be a six-year program, and some universities have a seven-year program. So. Uh, at, by the end, it, it kind kind of get just a, a, you get out of medicine just a, about the same age as, as in the US, but you you don't have this college experience that I think in most cases it, it it helps because when you're 18 or 19, you're not very sure what to do with your life. You think that maybe you want to be a doctor, but you're not quite sure.
0: And once you get in, there's no way out. Yeah, no, it's, I would imagine, I mean, I, I've told the story before for me, it was in 10th grade. I just knew I wanted to be a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, but that's not the case for a lot of people. They, even when in medical school, they try to decide, you know, after four years of, of college or even taking some time off and then going to medical school. And then it's a tough decision as to uh, what you want to do. Right. And then, so you have to figure out what specialty you want. So you're in, you're in this six year program. And, and so how did you decide that sports medicine and orthopedics was your destiny? Well, I I think it
1: it was something that since very young age, because I I was a very avid soccer player, I intended to be once a professional soccer player. Uh, But there is a time in your life, especially when you have to decide if you want to be a pro player or a a med student, that you have to decide. And I decided to become a med student, and probably for the worst reason. And the reason was that one of my best friends was a professional tennis player at that time. And he made the Mexico uh, Davis Cup team. And he was about to play first division tennis and he tore his meniscus. Mm. So he, he, he lost one year of his professional life. And he told me, you know, uh, you have to think very well about what you want to do with your life. Because if you get a, if you have an injury You're not going to have a pro-life and you're not going to have med student life. So you better decide. So I decided to go the safe way, quote unquote, and go for, for medicine.
0: Well, good for you. Now, I also we do a little research here on the show. And I think in your last year of medical school, if I'm not mistaken, because you're there for as long as you are uh it's a special year it's it's a year where they sort of take you out of the the classroom and the hospitals yeah. and it's like a social service program That's so tell right. us about that cuz that must have been a very unique year yeah it's, it's well in mexico about
1: almost 80 years ago um the the last year of 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 med school you you have what what is called the social service so you go to a very very far community from where you live in my case i went to to michoacan that is on the on the west part of the country just on the top of the mountains in the middle of nowhere and i i decided that that was my best place for doing my social service for one year so you, i i got in touch with with uh, deep mexico with the real mexico not the, the the fancy mexico city uh what you can see or what you can read like very, very near to, to the U S but no, this is, this is real life. This is um, what represents most of Mexico city. And that is a, a a strike of reality. And I decided that I have to give more than I was giving at my time.
0: So, so you do your social service year and you give back and uh, you know, it doesn't sound, it's not your calling per se, but you're happy that you do it and it's time to get back into the real world uh, and it's time to to start doing fellowships. It's another common theme that we have here where, you know, it's a, it's a long, arduous journey to find yourself and what you want to do within the orthopedic specialty and world. And so you do your first fellowship back in Mexico City. It's a joint reconstruction sports fellowship. And then you run into a friend of mine. Uh, your second year out, you decide to do a fellowship with Alan Barber, right. who is a, is a very dear friend of ours i 've known Alan for over a decade or two, and he 's just an amazing researcher he 's an amazing arthroscopist he has retired i 'm sure if you, I'm sure you stay in touch with Alan, but yeah, uh, when it came to materials within orthopedics, that dude knows it all. What's this, what's this anchor made out of? What's this material? How does it break down? And then he'll go in and do a sweet uh, ACL reconstruction in 50 minutes. It so was an right. amazing technician. Yes. And he, you know, he's, a, he's, he's really, you know, he, he was in academics, but he really was a professor. And so tell us about that year. It must have been a great year.
1: It, it, it was a great year uh, because, well, first of all, it was not that easy to get there because uh, I arrived in uh, summer at Texas. And it's it, it was hot. You can a lot of people think that Mexico City is hot, but because we are so high, the the truth is that we have a very mild weather. So uh, I arrived in at, at Texas and I was like, wow, this is going to be a long, 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 long time. So well, I finally got to work with with Alan, and I mean his his practice was just amazing just patient after patient after patient. And in between, we talked about this new paper that was just recently published about the the biomechanics of some implant and then some other patients and then come back and what do you think about this technique and what are your plans about what is going to be our next paper. So I I was amazed that in my first three months, we published three papers at the Orthoscopy Journal. It, It was like, wow.
0: It, it, this is That's just impressive. amazing. Yes. It really is. I mean, <laughs> so, so quickly. And then I, didn't you stay on? Aren't you like an editor now because of that time period and the responsibilities? Yes. Well, he, he must have, his must have seen something in me because he was like,
1: don't you want to be a reviewer for the arthroscopy journal? And I was like, yeah, I want to, but I don't know how to, Oh, I'm going to give you a crash course. So he gave me a, a an extra crash course. And, Everything just began to run smoothly. Uh, I began reviewing papers, reviewing papers, reviewing papers, and suddenly, three years after becoming a reviewer with no no background at all i I become an associate editor of the of the journal, an editorial That's, board yeah. member, yeah.
0: It's just—I mean—I love stories like that because what happens is really a mentor relationship. It's not just a, a, a teacher, you know. It's about let me share and let me really help you in all these aspects of life. And and here you are—you're barely in practice, and then three years in, you're already a deputy editor. That's really a great story. So, so then you go back. I mean, we're still, we're not even, you're not even in practice yet. We were still okay. like, I'm not even halfway through your story, but I love telling all of it. And so then you go back and you do another shoulder and elbow fellowship in Mexico city with the elite crew. So okay. you got your street cred, you know, back in Mexico city now. Uh, but you've also got some amazing, you know, us training and now you're on this arthroscopy uh, journal as well. And then uh, you decide to set up practice, but not quite yet. You want to do one more cool thing. And you sign up and see if you can get in for the 2007 Anna Traveling Fellowship, which is, for all those that are listening, the Arthroscopy Association of North America sets up a traveling fellowship once a year. They bring doctors in from all over the world and then they go from like site to site in the U.S. to visit and watch and work with some of the great shoulder or knee sports medicine specialists in, in our country. So it's a pretty amazing you know, thing to be asked, number one. But what an amazing year, I'm sure. And we have so many people in common from that experience. So, so you know, Misty Suri is a, is a friend of ours. Uh, so I, I know that he was part of the class. Who else was in the class? Who did you travel with?
1: With uh, Tim McAdams, uh, he's in in Stanford, and I was not very sure to apply for 2007 class because I applied for the 2006 and I was rejected. So um, when when the time when the time came to apply for the 2007 um, application, I was not very sure because uh, I, I, I am not very I, I do not take rejection very well. So Alan just called me and and, and he told me. Uh, are you going to apply for a 2007 Anna traveling fellowship and then, and I said um, no because i i, I can I, I can't have two notes, uh <laughs> year to year and he told me no i'm going to rephrase it you are going to apply for the 2007 traveling fellowship okay i can read in between lines <laughs> so <laughs> i applied I was selected, and it was just a fantastic experience. I think it was one of the best professional experiences in my life. Uh, at Back then, it was a one-month traveling fellowship, coast to coast. We, we uh, started in, in New York, and we ended in San Francisco, California for for one month and it was just this been a, a spectacular experience
0: yeah i gotta give we always like to give shout outs to the to the people that we know and love so i have a great picture of you and sharif bachay in 2007 at a, at a restaurant in new york because you went and visited kevin plancher if i'm not mistaken right. and sharif yes. was his fellow and you know sharif is a, one of my closest friends and uh, so uh, you know what a spe- and now you guys have maintained a relationship as well for sure. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And we were looking, I, I, I am looking
1: for, uh, for him to mentor, mentor me in this arthroscopic lateral jet technique. Then I'm really much looking forward to.
0: Well, oh, that's fantastic. What other sites did you visit on the, on the, on the traveling
1: fellowship? Let's give the shout um, Well, we, we started in, in New York, uh, then Yukon with uh, Gus Tuck and Robert Terciero, uh, to Delaware with Craig Morgan. Then Philadelphia with John Kelly and uh, Dr. Joe Torg back then. Then we went to San Antonio with uh, Stephen Burkhardt. Then Vail with Peter Millett and Dr. Stedman. Then L.A. And L.A. was just crazy. We went to Skoy with Dr. Snyder. Kurt and Jove with uh, Neil Ella trash and uh, Bert Mandelbaum. And um
0: Dance San Francisco yeah so again you' you're, those are all my brothers i mean it's amazing that you and I have never met before, but literally we share so many I know friends yes. and colleagues I always find that so fascinating that you know across the international you know culture of orthopedics there's just this camaraderie of of people that know each other we 're always so accepting and I mean, I just, I just love, love, love the, that list of people that you went to spend a month with. What an amazing experience for sure. So, so dude, you're like waiting for Godot though. I still get a sense. Like I'm reading through your, 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 your journey and, and like you do, you're doing all of these amazing things. And then you come back from this traveling fellowship, you set up your practice and you're working really well you're with one of the top sports medicine specialists, Antonio Miguel, if I'm not mistaken. And then you're like, I'm still, I don't think I've had enough education. I think I need to get a master's degree in tissue engineering, and it's going to take me three years to do that. And then you're through that. You get your master's, and you're really getting into it. And then you're like, you know, and that's still not enough. I'm going to go get a PhD, uh, a four-year PhD in tendon inflammation, and I'm going to write papers and do research and still do all my clinical practice and operate on patients. I mean, what a what an amazing experience. I mean, that's a long journey. It's a long journey, but... I, I...
1: I mean, I, I was married at that time, but I still had a lot of spare time uh, to to do a lot of things. So I decided that that was the best time to do a master's degree in sciences, a, a Ph.D. And uh, of course, I do not regret it, but uh, maybe I could have done some some other things with my life. But again, I do not regret it.
0: <laughs> no, that, that's it's a really it's an amazing story. And, and it's one that we hear a lot on The Ortho Show how driven people are to sort of find their way, do multiple things and, and, and really do as much as you possibly can with your time on the planet. And so obviously that, that's, that's inside of you. That's the core of, of who you are. And then, you know, then in 2009, probably the greatest moment in your life, your son Santiago's born and uh, your, your wife is a pediatric oncologist, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And the two of you are, you know, watching, you know, you're watching Santiago grow and you you start noticing some things and it turns out a a diagnosis of autism is made. And I think that has to have profoundly changed your philosophy in life and and your path and your journey. Do you mind talking about that? No, 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 of course not. Um,
1: You know, being, I consider myself to be always an overachiever. I always want more and more and more and my wife just it's just the same, and we we already had before Santiago was born. We had uh, planned the, the the perfect family uh, with a lot of kids, and everything was just was just in in the script. And then this is like a, a strike of reality because you know this this human being that has just come to the world is just not developing as he should be. And you go with a specialist and another specialist, and they all say, No, don't think, don't worry. Uh, he's going to, to get right. Both of you are a great persons. Yeah, that doesn't have to do with this. No, 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 no. He's going to catch up. Don't worry. And then we were like that for three years after uh, all the uh, pediatric neurologists that we consulted told us that no, nothing's going wrong. Don't worry. But, you know, we are parents, and of course, we're physicians, and we knew that something was not going well. And finally, a uh, neuropsychiatrist told us, I have to tell you, he has a significant developmental delay, and we should label it as autism. So you, you, you have to deal with this, and he's your son, and you have to give the, the best that you can. Well, that that was really 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 striking, not in a good way. And now what are we going to do? I I know how to fix bones, to fix joints. I I don't know if I'm going to be the best parent for Santiago. What am I going to do next? And a new journey began back then. Tell us. Well, after seeing that no specialists were giving us the, the the best diagnosis. Okay, so I'm going to study and see how can we help him. So I began studying neurosciences. I began studying the biochemistry because uh, I, I began uh, researching and, and seeing that this probably was a mitochondrial problem. And it is but it, it also implies having an immunometabolism problems, it is. So I, I began researching and studying and and, and and consulting all around the world to see how we could help. And all, also, we began uh, studying a, lo- a lot about uh, normal child development, neurodevelopment, and the ways it will diverge from, from the normal route and, uh, beginning to see how exercise will have an an implication. And then again, I still, I like, well, at least I, at least I know this exercise and drills can help him reconnect the brain. And seven years later, here we are applying immunometabolic therapies and exercise therapy and helping him with his, um, eliminating his primitive reflexes. And he's still nonverbal, but uh, applying a system in which he can uh, communicate writing. Uh, He has discovered that he's a writer. Um, uh, He's about to publish his first book. So April 2nd is the Autism Awareness Day worldwide. So we're planning, and, and, and this is news, um, we're going to to uh to present his first book because he's he's a very accomplished writer right now he's eleven years old nonverbal. he he wrote all his short stories one letter at a time and um he's going to regular school not right now because of the pandemic but once the pandemic is over he's going to go back to regular school and he has a girlfriend that he's he's very much worried because He's not seeing her and talking to her and uh, having all the problems. Now we have all the problems of a, of a parent with an 11 neurotypical year old that that caused a lot of a, a lot of tears, a lot of despair, a lot of uh, giving a lot of uh, jumps into the abyss just to see what happened. And you have to to lose yourself to find you over and over
0: i mean it's it's a pretty remarkable story. I mean here you are, you're incredibly focused on your orthopedic career, you know from a technical standpoint but also from a research standpoint and then And then this happens, and you know you pivot to to using your big brain with your wife to to create a solution or try and find a solution and it has to just change your entire philosophy on on how you approach things and how you approach life. And, and I'm sure the knowledge that you've gained in this process for Santiago, you must be using to help other parents of uh, children with autism as well. Of course, because, you know, having a, a kid with a
1: disability, it, it, it doesn't matter what, what type of disability, it tends to break families. And it tends to break families because you are in grief, and it depends on how you manage grief. Uh, you, can, you can solve it or you can live forever inside it. So um, my wife decided that uh, she had to become an existentialist coach, just first for for her and then for us. And once we can see that there is so much more in life than being successful, and it is more important to become meaningful, at least from our point of view, uh, that being a physician is not enough. You have to help people, not just patients. Because that means doing medicine. You're not only there to cure an ailment of the body, but also the soul. So here we are. And and the pandemic was a great opportunity um, to help some some parents that were in total despair because they didn't know what to do before the pandemic with with their kids. So they decided to escape uh, doing a lot of work and becoming workaholic and once you you have to work at home, what are how, how do you combine being a workaholic at home and being also a parent with a kid with a problem? So that that tends to to break family. So suddenly for for a, probably a random reason, uh some some friends of ours become uh keeping in touch with us, like, how do you manage to do these things so well? And our first response was, was like, why do you think we're managing with this so well? Well, because you're still married. Well, yeah, that's a good reason. <laughs> but you seem to be happy. Well, yes, but happy is just a dynamic process. And you, ha- you sometimes you're very sad and you have to see what's happening around your life and you have to see the meaning around that and you have to see a solution. And uh, suddenly that, that become like our second day job. Becoming an existential coach for some parents or a lot of parents who had uh, kids with disabilities that they didn't know what to do with their with their personal lives and their family lives.
0: So, you know, obviously this this whole process of thought and and how you you look at at life and and problems has transcended you know not just necessarily in your personal life and your family life, but also into your professional life. And I think that you've sort of changed your philosophy as you were going through your masters and your phd and all these fellowships as you were trying to decide how best to serve as a healer and you know I, I want to bring up another we're going to sort of pivot here a little bit to to something else which is in more your professional life which is about the the mexican equivalent of the ana meeting that, that you host which is a sports medicine society meeting and i really like that you know as a general rule we think of these meetings it's didactic it's people talking about their research it's talking about the things that they're doing in a way in which you can converse and share ideas but i really like it seems like this philosophical change for you has has opened up your eyes to other ways in which even as a professional physician and so you brought in for example bert mandelbaum and john kelly and and tell us tell us why you brought them in and and really what they talked about in this this setting of the meeting of course well, the,
1: the, the first meeting in which I, am, I was the program chair, um, I decided to bring John Kelly because, first, he's a great guy. I, I met him in, in, while well, my traveling fellowship, and he's a comedian, but uh, he's a great person, and he's a, such a skilled surgeon. He's such a great guy. But then I, the, per- the, the first time I, I heard the, the word um, mindfulness was with him, and it was like what the what the hell is that and he began, he began explaining what mindfulness was and it I, I was just like a lot of people in mexico have have to hear this because we live under a lot of stress and we do not know how to manage it and we think we we know and we party and or we just become more workaholics or we tend to have some adventures so to speak. And that doesn't bring like, the inner peace you, you need to become the, uh, uh, a person, a happy person. So I decided to bring John Kelly just to talk about all these fantastic things that he does with the knees and the shoulders. But um, we, we uh, dedicated a complete session for him to talk about mindfulness. And as we expected, like half the audience was like, what the hell? And the other half was like, thank you. I really need this because I think my life sometimes is just coming apart. And then for the second year, I, I brought uh, Bert Mandelbaum. Um, it's always great uh, hearing him talking about his uh, soccer soccer uh, research and everything he does with the cartilage and knees. Uh, he, he's one of the top surgeons in the world. But then he wrote this book, that the Wind Within, that helps you bring the best of you. And he, he's he's someone so close to us. Then you you are not feeling as a surgeon that some coach that has a a, a that makes a living as a coach is just telling some things. No, this is this guy that is daily doing the the same things as as you are, and he's discovering and sharing with you some experiences that can help you be like a, like a better person and, and find the best in you. So you have to give credit to him for that.
0: <laughs> no, Bert's been a, uh, Bert's a dear friend. He's been a guest on the show as well. And, you know, he's absolutely one of our iconic sports medicine uh, leaders and mentors here in the States as well. Speaking about books, I know that there's a favorite book of yours and. in, in you like to quote it, and I I, I really love listening to it. So I, I want you to share that with the audience as well.
1: Yes, well, definitely this is this is a quote from a Robert Heinlein uh, book that just reflects what I, what I think about life. So it's it, it says a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone. Um, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly.
0: Specialization is for instance. Pretty cool stuff. I mean, that's about uh, as philosophical as it gets. And you know, for our standard orthopedic surgeons out there, you're, you're going pretty deep. And I really appreciate thank you. Uh, you know, the conversation. And you know, I'm going we're gonna we're gonna sort of uh, wind it up here. And you know, in this in this post pandemic world, you know, you've talked about all of your great accomplishments within orthopedics, and, and you've sought solutions for Santiago and autism, and helping so many parents that have experienced that as well. You know, give us, give, us a, give us a quote in parting words about what your current philosophy is in life. Once you get out of the bed
1: just very early in the morning, give the best you can. And by the end of the day, ask yourself if you were meaningful.
0: Fantastic. I mean, this is what we do here. Today, we've, tra- we've traveled across the border to Mexico City with an amazing sports medicine orthopedic surgeon with great passion who absolutely thinks in a very unique spiritual, philosophical, I would describe you as a multidisciplinary uh, healer of both mind and body. So it's really been a pleasure having you on. Thank
1: you very much. I I, I was so very much looking forward to this opportunity.
0: Thank you. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the ortho show. Till next time.